Jesus, that's not just supposed to be a song that we sing. That's supposed to be how we live our lives in a, a life that is surrendered to you because you told us that you really can't ever even find life until you die. Die to self. Die to who it is we are, who, who we think we are. To let the Creator who loved us and gave His life for us to, to be the one who created in us and guides and directs us so that we can find your will. I ask, Lord Jesus, that your Spirit will give us a sense of that you love us, that you care about us, you're not out to hurt us, that we can understand there's some place to go other than just being saved. And I know many of us know that, but we want to flesh it out today. Will you give me help to make that play? And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, everybody. All right. Thank you. Uh, let me just have one announcement, if you could. Just a scotch there, Brian. Uh, in your program there, I just want to make sure you see that there's some new Bible studies. We try to do these every different uh, semester or whatever it is. In September, we got three of them starting every week, Wednesday here, Thursday at Life House, uh, Lifeline. Uh, we have a Bible study that's going on. If you can attend either church and go to that, whichever day is most convenient for you. There's one here that's called uh, World versus Scripture. Uh, it's tackling holiness versus the world's living. And I talked to Danielle about this. It says 13 and up. She was really hoping, and I said, I'm not sure that communicated what you want. She wants mature Christians, women in this study. She wants you there helping and guiding and directing. So 13 and up means anywhere from 13 to 99. So if you can make it, it's at her house. There's a text number there. And then Beta Satan, a book that's been done quite a bit. It's about how to free yourself from the sin of offense. And that, that one actually is over at Lifeline on Monday nights. So choose any one of those. Being in a Bible study is extremely important. Matter of fact, I would say that they're really, you really can't do Christianity just by coming on Sunday morning. All right, everybody. When I was growing up, it was really popular for parents to say to their kids, I, I, I'll say boys, I'm sorry, uh, women were not entering the military as much as they are now, but I really, they, they, parents were saying, including my own, it would be really good for you to join the military. And then that thought was, is to try to drive out some of the silliness and some of the uh, untrainable uh, uh, attitude and really get to the place where, where you're trained and you're disciplined because the military does such a good job at that. They thought it was really a great way for sons to grow up and to build them up and to be ready for anything in life because I don't know about you, but most of the people that I know that have this, they, they like to hire people who had been in the military because they're trained and they're disciplined. I know somebody who rents homes. I know somebody who has a couple houses, uh, and one in Perry, one out, and they basically, they try to vet and they try to come up with and try to say, is the person applying a vet? Because they know that they're reliable, they're dependable. When they, they get into the military, they learn to take orders and they learn to obey. So when the call of duty comes, they are ready. Now at the top of your notes, I have this phrase up there, kinds of obedience, that I like to just point out in that regard. You're welcome to pull out your sermon notes or pull out your Bible app. If you pull out the Bible app, lower right-hand corner, just tap those three lines and come up to live event. All of the notes are there. And so there's two different kinds of obedience when I think about it. I think about momentary obedience, right? You know, you're in the military, you just get in, you're in boot camp, whatever it is, and they tell you to do something, you, you maybe obey because you know that if you don't obey, you're probably going to have to run miles, carry a backpack, dig a hole, fill, and then fill it back up. 
Whatever it is that they're trying to get you to do. So you have these times of momentary obedience. You listen for a little bit of time, but eventually it grows into a continuous attitude of obedience. It grows into a continuous attitude of obedience. It becomes a responsibility to do what is needed because you have come to the place where you realize to be in the military, and I know you know this, Jen, you've been in the military, it becomes a place and a time when everybody on the team, everybody in your unit, everybody knows we're in this together, and so we obey together, and when you get out into wherever you may end up in a confrontation, everybody knows that whoever is the sergeant, whoever's in charge, they're going to do what he says all across the board. I have found, as I prepared today, that that type of obedience I found inside Christianity, I found inside myself. You know, there's that time when you have this sense that, you know, somebody's given a message about what it means to live holy or to be sanctified. And some of you here today, you know that, and I know some of you may or may not, but everybody knows this. There's something more than just being saved. You have to know that. There's something more than just giving your life to Christ and being saved. It's called it sanctification, call it holiness. That's what we'll take a look at today. But there was times when people, maybe even include myself, there was a call to the altar. You made a commitment to be sanctified. You got up from there. Some of you it worked and some of you it didn't work. Now the problem is not on God's side. What I have found out is there was that momentary bit of obedience. You sense the Holy Spirit calling you to the altar, but getting up from that, it was not a continuous walk of obedience. And sanctification, this life that God calls us to, this call of duty, will never work with momentary obedience. It's got to be a continuous obedience, which is what I would like to talk to you today. Romans, the 12th chapter, We're just going to look at two verses. And in case you've never heard of this word sanctification, Understand that the scripture all throughout, what is it, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you be sanctified. Do we need more than that? He was talking to Christians who had experienced salvation. There was something more than that, something that would go on that would be an instantaneous and then a progressive growth in holiness or sanctification. Here is what I think one of the best descriptions, uh, descriptions of what it all is. Romans 12, let's just look at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our lives are supposed to be a lifestyle of worship. This is what's supposed to happen 24-7 in our lives. Number one in your notes, uh, the question is, will we respond to the call? You want to fill that in, go ahead in your notes, whatever. The call. It's the words that Paul says up there, I urge you. If you have the King James, it's I beseech you. The definition from the original language is to call to one side, to summon or to beg. It has the picture of a man on his knees begging a beautiful woman to marry him. And so much so he wants that to happen that he knows the only way he can do it is to buy her a diamond because she ain't going to do it any other way. To come alongside, to be a part of me. It's somebody that says, join my team, come work for me, whatever it might be. The writer to the Romans is calling Christians to join him at the hip. I urge you, it has the sense to call me to the side. It's a really passionate word and it, it is connected to the word paraclete, which Jesus used in regards to the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, when I'm gone, I'm going to make sure you have somebody come alongside of you. 
the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will come and he will live with you. This is not a lackadaisical request. When he says, I urge you, and the King James says, I beseech you, it's the same word that several people in the New Testament used in coming to Jesus Christ asking for a healing. I'll give you three real quick ones. You you can write the reference down if you want. Matthew, the 8th chapter, verse uh, 5. The uh, centurion comes and he has a servant that's sick. And the passage of Scripture says he came to Jesus and he beseeched him. He asked him, and he said, would you come and heal my servant? And it's quite interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Jesus says these words, shall I come and heal him? You know Jesus knew what was going to happen. And the guy says, no, you don't even need to come to my house. He says, I understand authority. All you need to do is speak the word and he'll be healed. And the centurion went back and he was healed. He came and beseeched Jesus. That's the word that's used here. Mark, the four, uh, first chapter, verse 40. A man with leprosy comes to Jesus and begged him on his needs. He urged him, come alongside. There's this summoning, there's this beckoning, there's this begging. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's Mark, the seventh chapter, verse 32. People brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on them. Here's Paul. Writing in Romans 12, I urge you, I come alongside of me, I'm begging you, come, let's do this. He's begging Christians in Rome to come alongside of him and ultimately to come alongside of Jesus. This is why the Christian faith is not a lone ranger sport. We're always called to come alongside, to find our gifts, to serve together, to do something as a team, as a family. What have you wanted so bad in your life that you begged for it? What have you wanted so bad that you begged for it? You're at that place saying, you know, I would never ask anybody for money. But then you end up in a situation. You find out somebody's got cancer. You find out there's somebody needs something and they're good people and you go to people. And maybe you're not begging, but just urge them. Would you come alongside with me and help me raise some money to make sure this is taken care of? We do that almost every Thanksgiving time and other times of the year. Well, we ask people, come alongside of us. Let's, let's feed some people. If Paul is begging me to come alongside of him, I think I ought to at least give him a little bit of consideration. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Don't be mistaken. The life of a sanctified Christian is a life of continuous be obedience and the call to duty, and the first step is come alongside. Make a decision to come alongside. Number one, will I respond to number two, the motivation? What is the motivation to come alongside? What is it that is out there? I mean, what is the best motivator you know? Everybody here, you're motivated differently. Some of you get up every day and you go out jogging and you'll jog three miles, five miles, whatever. I have a tough time driving 10 miles, you know? I I try to go out running. I really do once in a while and I just can't do it. About two minutes into it, I'm like, I'm bored. You know? But what I do like is I have a friend who calls me and says, will you play racquetball? Even though it's 6 a.m., I'm motivated by competition. And he talks smack. And and I'm motivated by competition. What will motivate a Christian to want to be sanctified? Look at the passage of Scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... In view of God's mercy, a Christian has experienced God's mercy. They forgive they experience His forgiveness of sin. The word mercy here is in reference to God's mercy, and the definition is His compassion. 
He has pity in his heart. He's got a heart of compassion. I think the best candidate for a Christian to be sanctified is a new Christian. New Christians have this view in mind of God's wonderful mercy, and they think that God has forgiven me of 25 years of my sins, and they have this view of God's mercy. I think new Christians are the best candidates to say, I want to be saying, they see God's mercy, they see what he's done, and they're not so worried about what it exactly it is he's going to take away. We're always worried about what's he going to take away, what's he going to do. See, God's mercy is fresh in their minds, and sometimes when we walk with Jesus a while, his mercy gets out of sight. Sometimes when we walk, it's gotten out of sight. I don't know. I was watching uh, this television program. Maybe you saw it too, the Foods That Made America Great or something like that. And there's a guy whose name was Frank Mars. He had a son named Force Mars. He's the owner of the Mars Candy Company. His son, Forrest, found himself in jail, and he just uh, had nobody. Nobody in his life, nobody. He just made enemies everywhere he went. The last straw was he called his dad, who he was estranged from. His dad came and bailed him out. His dad came, and they had a conversation. His dad hired him on. His dad began to work with him. His son, Forrest, had some great ideas. But eventually it got to the place where his son said, you need to give me a third of this company or I'm out of here. His dad said, I, 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 I don't trust you with a third of my company. I'm not going to, you know, when I die, when I retire on that day, they gave you the whole thing. And so he said he was out of there. The son left with an attitude and the son went across the pond and he built, made a lot of money. He made his own candy, did a lot of different things he learned from his dad and came back And his goal was to buy his dad's company out and turn it around. Now, I ask you the question. Had he forgotten about the mercy of the only one that would come and bail him out? Because on that day, if somebody didn't come bail you out, you were stuck in jail. They had plenty of space in that day. And I ask myself, I wonder if we have forgotten the mercy of God from our salvation and the mercy that I need Almost daily? My wife and I woke up the other day and heard some news about some different people and the problems they had, and we looked at each other and said, you know, we don't, have a, we don't have a worry in the world. We don't have a problem in the world. Have we forgotten God's mercy? Because if that's out of sight, you won't want to be sanctified. It's a little bit scary. You, the word sanctified means to be set apart. The best thing about a church is to have a bunch of people set apart for Jesus Christ, all pulling in the same direction. The call to come alongside is motivated by the mercy of God. It teaches us to continually obey. So here's Paul. He's saying, I urge you and begging you to come alongside, and here's the mercy of God. And all throughout the Scriptures, the mercy of God is... Let me give you a couple different examples. You may know some of these Scriptures. Quote, I, have had mer- I will have mercy on who I have mercy on, God says. Uh, he's full of mercy and compassion. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. In his great mercy, he gave us salvation. He has something that's an adjective attached to it. It's called tender mercy. And he said, and the scripture says, he is full of mercy. If I haven't experienced God's mercy recently, it's not because it wasn't there. It's because I didn't recognize it. And a Christian that wants to be sanctified has to understand that in view of God's mercy, we have to walk in a continuous view of His mercy and obedience 
to the call of duty. Our verse of the year is that every one of us will put in mind the kingdom of heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All this other stuff will be added to you. To be found in the center is we're motivated by his mercy. Number three is the movement. There's the call, we beseech you. There's the motivation in view of God's mercy. And look at the passage of Scripture. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. The word holy is connected to the word sanctification. It's the sanctified, it's the same word. In this church, we teach that you can live a holy life. We're a holiness church. We don't think that you get saved and then you just continue to sin every day. There's the call of duty. Here's the movement. Have you ever heard the phrase, poop or get off the pot? I used a different word, so maybe you're not, you didn't get it. You know, you go to buy a car, like I have done. You, you work a deal out, and the, the guy, the salesman says, I'll hold the car for you till tomorrow. And you try to make a decision. You can't make a decision by tomorrow. You're actually out looking for something else. And then the next day comes along. He calls you. He says, I can't hold the car. I said, well, you'll probably all do what I do. Well, I got to check with my wife, see if I can spend that kind of money. And then come the third day, he says, you know, it's time to make a decision. It's time to make a decision. Either buy the car or i got to sell it to somebody else. And I look at the passage of Scripture and I look and it says the word offer here, it means to place beside. Isn't that interesting? The first one says to come alongside, to beg to someone. And this one says, okay, so now take yourself and put yourself alongside. Now offer your body. It's a picture of me placing myself alongside other Christians, but most importantly, alongside of Jesus Christ. Paul urges me to come alongside, and now the question is, what will my responsibility be? Now, here's the question. This is my movement. I have to make a move. The word living sacrifice here is interesting because I would think and imagine in this day and age, when you thought of a sacrifice, you didn't think of something that was alive. You thought of something that was killed, burned, and probably completely consumed. What is a living sacrifice? And the passage goes on to say that God uses people who are sanctified, set apart, while they're alive. They've given up what it is that is their will, and they want God's will because the passage of Scripture says this makes us holy and pleasing, and you'll see in a minute, which allows us to test His will. It allows us to test His will. And to me, this is a picture of Christian community. I sacrifice self, you sacrifice self, together We become a holy community that doesn't live for ourselves. Heaven knows the word surrender can be a scary word. (laughs) If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. I'm afraid that if I fully surrender, Jesus is going to send me to the Aborigines in Africa or or wherever the Aborigines come from, and probably not Africa. Oh, he's going to send me to... Australia, man, somewhere out there in the outback. He's going to put me out there and I'm just going to have to get flea-bitten and probably get some type of disease and die. There's enough lost people in America. He probably needs you right here. But if you called, it's amazing when I talk to missionaries. They so love what they're doing. God, in view of His mercy... He's going to call. He's going to equip. He's going to give you something you won't hardly believe. When I get sanctified, when you and I get sanctified, when when we answer this call to offer ourselves, it's not going to be about what I want to do or where I want to go. It's not going to be about how I want to treat people and how I want them to treat me. It's just not. 
It's going to be about a relationship with Christ that does not work unless I offer my body as a living sacrifice because the one I follow offered his body as a living sacrifice. He's our example. He urges, he calls us, come alongside, you know. A lot of the uh, relationships, maybe in the feudal lord relationship or in the master versus the servant, the servant continuously denies themselves for everything for the master. But the amazing thing about our master is he denied himself on our behalf first. And then as Christians, we deny ourselves together. This is what it means to be set apart. This is what it means to be sanctified. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Many other relationships really thrive when two people don't have to have their way, when friends don't have to have their way, when you have a baseball team that doesn't have to have their own way. They thrive on that. And unless I move towards offering myself as a living sacrifice, my sanctification will never take hold. I must obey the command to offer my body as a living sacrifice continuously, not momentarily. Number four. Look at verse two. You have it there. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's just stop right there. And anything that's worth anything at all, they always have a do not. And they have several do nots. Number four, the do not. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Anything I think that has a high value on it has do nots. You go to work. Do not show up late. Do not cheat on your time clock. Do not take that piece of metal and put it in here if you're in a machine shop, in a welding shop, whatever it might be in the office. Do nots. I, I enjoy fishing. I think that's a really high calling too. Somewhat of a joke. I was, saw last year, maybe you read it in the newspaper, a couple guys out off of Geneva were catching walleye and filleting them right out there on the water. And the walleye were just everywhere. You could catch them so quickly. Two people are allowed six apiece. That's 18. I think the Coast Guard or, I forget, ODNR caught them with 90 walleye. ODNR took their boat, took their trailer, took the two-year-old pickup truck, never to be returned again, and got a, best I understand, $250 fine for every fish over eight, over 12. I said 18. No, they don't let me do math around here. Six and six is 12. (laughs) Ain't that right, Pastor Dale? Don't let him touch the budget. I I don't touch the budget. $250 over every, for every fish over 12. It doesn't take long for that to add up. Do not Everything that's worth something has some do-nots attached to it. The word here is conform. Do not conform. It means to conform oneself, one's mind and character to another's pattern. Right? And what's the other pattern? The world. And the world here is just a bad pattern. As Christians, there is a danger in conforming. There is a danger in, in blending in. I got a graphic up here, sis, if you put it up here for me. I got a graphic up here of the red coats. Who would, wouldn't you just love to be in the Redcoats and the British Army? You know, it's time to fight, so we're all just marching here, and they're taking pot shots at us. It's like, bing, bing, take them off. And then they invented something called camel. And camel blends in. And you're not as easy to see. You can hide. You can shoot the enemy. They can't see you coming. And the difficulty in military, that's a wonderful thing. 
You can blend in. But in Christianity, you cannot blend in with the world. The passage of Scripture says, you blend in like the world, you look like the world, you're lost. It would be much better for Christians to be standing out like the redcoats. Maybe it's not good in battle, but it's good in Christianity. You and I can't blend in. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Can I talk to you about two things? There are two things that the world has. It's got a pattern and it's got a plan. It's got a pattern and it's got this, this pull. So there's a pattern and a pull. And the pattern is, came right from the Garden of Eden, right? Somebody said that if in the Garden of Eden it had been honeydew or uh, kiwi, they would have never sinned because they taste so terrible compared to an apple. But there's this pull. Adam and Eve had no sinful nature. They had a free will and they had the ability to to make a choice. And when temptation was there, that caused them to fall. Before that, there was no sinful nature. But everything that man said, it's about me. There's that pattern that's about me. There's that pattern about what I want. It's a pattern about everything that surrounds me, what inconveniences me, what do I do here or there, whatever it is. We get up, we fill our calendars out, we do our schedules on our phone, we do everything, and God is nowhere to be found on it. We schedule a lot of important things. All right, we're scheduling times of service, times of, 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 of devotion. There's this thing... That, uh, that the world has it, that don't conform to this pattern of this world because there's also something called pull. And I give John Reiser, some of you know who he is, credit for this. He said one time, I heard him say that there is a gravitational pull for the Christian back out of salvation and into the world. There's this gravitational pull. The wonderful thing about sanctification, it teaches that the sinful nature can be crucified. It can be put away. It doesn't mean you can't ever sin because there's always temptation. I get that. But there's this pattern and this pull. The world pulls us into this place where it wants to, us to blend in. It wants us to put on the camouflage and be out. And this passage of Scripture says that'll never work. You know, whenever we talk about the word world, it's always a negative. In Bible study, we were talking about the new heavens and the new earth, the new worlds. You want to be there. And I, uh, the present heavens are constantly, a, a present earth and world is constantly a pull towards evil, towards a sinful nature, temptation. One day there'll be a new world. There'll be no curse. We'll use the word world, not in a negative way. It'll be the place where every pull is towards godliness. No more curse. They're the do nots. And sanctification, the highest Christian walk, has its do-nots that have to be attached to it. Number five. There's the do-nots. You've got to have the do, right? The do-nots. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to test and to prove what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. The word transformed here is from the Greek word metamorpho. You have it in your notes here to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. It's the picture of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. You know, uh, some of you are probably wondering, what's this can of Coke up here for? This can of Coke is my, for later. But this can of Coke was actually transformed. See, there's this stuff in the ground called aluminum, and they get this aluminum out, 
and they pull this aluminum out, and then they purify aluminum. And when they get to the place where they're getting ready to use it, they'll make it into different things. And those of you who work in a machine shop, you know what a punch press is. A punch press will take a little disc of aluminum, a little disc of aluminum. It has this punch press on it, formed and shaped like a, a, a can of whatever it might be. The press comes down with all this force and takes, and it punches it and transforms it into a little puck of aluminum into a can. A top is put on later. And that's how a lot of different things are formed. The passage of Scripture says you and I must be transformed. God's there. His Spirit is there. He's willing to help us. There's no doubt about it. The problem isn't on His end. It's always on my end. The do's in the Scripture say we must be changed. The Scripture calls us a new creation. Punch press stamped by the power of the Spirit of God. It can't be something momentary. It's got to be something continuous. It's got to be continuous obedience on my part. The passage says, hey, Evan, your body's got to be involved, offered up as a living sacrifice. Your mind must be at work together, getting God's instruction. That is how I know. That is how I'm guided. That is how I'm directed. That is how I walk sanctified. I'm not going to have an altar call today. The last thing that we need, I just, I spent some time, I said, don't need an altar call Today, we need people to say, I will walk in continuous obedience, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, to walk in my sanctification, to grow in it, and to be a sacrifice offered up to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, you're going to make a decision with your mind. That's the passage goes to your mind. You know, renew your mind. I went over a couple different Bible studies today, three of them. In your mind, you probably already processed, well, what day is it? What else do I got going on? Is it worth me going? Yeah, I'm going. No, I'm not going. You processed it already. You made a decision. So much, as I, I, I think, is made the first decision in my mind. Something in my mind's got to say in the Scriptures, this is right, this is good. It's not enough to come to church on Sundays. There's other, act, uh, other things we need to be involved in most especially sitting underneath a teacher who is teaching and helping us grow. Do I make spiritual decisions that are going to transform by my thinking? Because my thinking will transform my inner being. Offer my body, make sure my mind is transforming. This is how Christians get ready for God's call to duty. It starts with obeying all the do's that Jesus has commanded. Sanctification. It's our call to duty. It's what is there for us. Some of you probably know call to duty. How many of you know that that's a video game? How many of you play call to duty? I know that uh, some of you probably, you wanted to hopefully this morning we pass out a little controller so you could get your little fix of call to duty. But sanctification for a Christian, it is our call to duty. The sanctified Christian can continuously know God's will. Then you will be able to test and approve. We always want to know God's will. And also, especially, could I just say this? Sometimes it's all about, what do you want for me? You know, you could open the Bible. We could spend five minutes. You could find five things very quickly of what you know is God's will. We're always finding that obscure thing, but... There's all kinds of things you can find out with God's will. He wants you to be a witness. He wants you to be in prayer. He wants you to feel all kinds of things. God's will. It's God's call to every Christian. If you've come to the altar and nothing has changed, understand, 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It is God's will that you be sanctified. The call is here. It's the urgency. Paul says, come alongside. The Spirit of God says, come alongside me. There's the motivation in view of God's mercy. He's not trying to squash you with a big people swatter. There's the motivation, the movement. Lord, I want to offer myself. It's on you now. It's on me now. There's the do nots. Don't conform. Don't put on the camouflage of the world. Don't look like the world. Then the do's have your mind transformed. It's all right there in two verses. Every one of those requires an action on my part and your part. You can't remain stagnant and you can't remain neutral. The asterisk in your notes is simply that the blending into the world results in separation from Christ. I know, I went toward the negative side of it because I want you to know, the blending in with the world. The world's getting into the church in all kinds of different ways and places. The world gets into the church in regards to our decision on what's lawful and what marriage is and what sexuality is and it's getting in and people are compromising. Blending into the world results in separation from Christ. And as I prepared, if I could just close with saying this to you, I prepared, I spent some time meditating. As best I can tell, I I think Jesus says it's more about time, where we delegate our time more than anything. If you broke a 24-hour day up, and let's just say you slept eight hours, you worked eight hours, there's some travel time in that, what do you do with the other eight hours every day? What do you do with it? What is your plan with it? Does God have my time for fellowship with other Christians, for service, for Bible study? Does God have my time? And a part of that, you know, you know, you got you to have time for your hobby in there. You got to have time to be able to play. And of course, you know, you got kids and TV and entertainment. And what is scheduled in? In my time. I know Christians, I really appreciate, they, they set a timer on that stupid dumb phone of theirs. They'll set a timer. They'll put a passage of Scripture on it. When a timer goes off, it pops up. They look at the passage of Scripture because they're in the middle of the day like every one of us. It tends to wander. You guys are creative. You can do many under wonderful things. Have something with a friend or somebody like that that calls you and challenges you. Say, hey, this is what we're living this week. How have you done it? I read somewhere that God without man is still God. Man without God, Lost. I think that the passage of Scripture says to you and me that you you must do your call to duty. You cannot just be saved. There's something more than that. And yes, in God's grace, He will give you the grace to grow and to progress, but stay with it. Stay in a continuous state of obedience, and you will be sanctified. My mom's birthday was yesterday, and the day before, she she loves to eat at this one favorite place, and since I'm a wonderful son. I'm, the, I'm her favorite son. Thank you, sis. Grew up with five sisters, four of them still, you know. You know and I, I, so I went at the checkout, and I was getting her a gift card. And like right behind, like down this little hallway, maybe even just 10 feet from there, there was a girl trying to fill cups, and she picks it up loudly and says, Why is this cup dirty? She picks up another one. All of these cups are dirty. I watched to see if she was filling them anyway, but she wasn't. Somebody from the back was talking to her, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you ought to, you ought to be a little quieter, but then again, 
if you're a customer, it's just like, I was really glad that she would not fill a dirty cup and serve it. Wouldn't you be glad? Who would think that God Almighty would fill a dirty Christian with his spirit, sanctify him through and through and use him in any way, shape, or form? He's not going to. I understand we're not perfect. I understand that there's times when we say, I get that. I've been there. But we get up, and God in his wonderful mercy helps us move on. If you think, well, I'm just not worthy of that, welcome to the club. I feel that way every Sunday morning and most Saturday. How about you? Will you make a decision today to offer yourself as a living sacrifice? To not let your mind be sucked in and conformed, but to be transformed. Would you bow your heads with me today? And in your heart, will you lift your heart up to the Lord Jesus Christ? If this is what you want, I really can't pray for you. I can pray with you this morning. Lift your heart up to the Lord, saying, Lord, I want, I need that continuous obedience so I can be sanctified and set apart for you. Jesus, as we close uh, today, we are not going to close this time. Lord, as best I can understand, you said that we are so busy we make no time. Lord, will you help your people today make a determination in their heart of what it is they're going to do and not do with their time, that they will be creative with it. Lord, will you help people here today? I, I just, I know this. There's people, that, they tried sanctification. They came in a momentary time of obedience. And they, like myself at one time, did not walk in a continuous obedience. They got up from the altar and they said it didn't work. Lord, help them today. No. It's 24-7 every day. And it becomes easier and easier the more often we submit, the more often we listen. And the wonderful thing about it is we tend to just know so easily what your will is. Our lives become just a life of worship. Do today in the hearts of people what they can't. But Lord, they must do what you cannot. Make a decision in a continuous obedience to what your word teaches in view of your awesome, wonderful mercy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.